Good morning. On Monday and Tuesday of this past week, I spent uh, a couple days over in camp with, uh, with our kids for Feather and, and Fin Week. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we fished and, and shot archery, but uh, the sinuses got a little bit bad while I was there, and as I, I came home, I got word that one of our kids came home with strep throat. So I went to the doctor the next day to see. They said, no, no strep throat for you, just the sinus stuff. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll beg your patience this morning as I try to work through that as I speak this morning. And, and hopefully uh, the voice will stay with me through the rest of the time. On a, uh, on a Black Friday, a, a couple went Christmas shopping. And, and the shopping center was packed. You can imagine what it would be like. They're going through the store. The husband's looking at one thing. The wife's looking at something else. And all of a sudden, the wife doesn't see her husband anymore. And she wonders where he went to. She couldn't find him anyplace. She decides to call him. She gets out her cell phone, calls the number. Her husband answers the phone. And, and she asks the question, where are you? And he responds by saying, well, do you remember the jewelers that we went to about five years ago? And, and you saw that diamond necklace that you fell in love with. And we couldn't afford it. And I, would t I told you that, that a day would come that I would buy that for you. And and man, his wife, she began to sob and to cry and said, oh, yes, honey, I remember that so much. And he said, I'm in the coffee shop next to that store. <clears throat> Dads, happy Father's Day. Back in 1981, I think it was 81, I started wearing contact lenses. And in those days, you wore what they called daily lenses. You take them out, you scrub them off, you put them in a little bitty vial, then you put that vial down inside of a heater, and the heater would cook those things overnight. How many of you remember ever having anything like that? Well, a few of you brave souls. Uh, it worked pretty well, and, and it, it kept your contacts uh, nice and disinfected. Well, that week of camp, or I was in a week of camp out at Bond uh, when I was wearing my contact lenses, and I didn't know when I did it, but at some point I got into some poison ivy. Didn't realize that I had it on my hands. You can see where this is going. So I take my contacts out at night, scrub them with the poison ivy fingers, and rub that into it really, really well, put them in the disinfectant. The next morning I take them out, put them in my eyes. By about the second day, the, the poison ivy was full-blown. I could not see anything. My eyes were swollen. The contacts were, were just filled with this stuff. And so I had to stop wearing those. I couldn't see anything. And it was, it was a frustration that lasted for, for some days until it finally the infection went away and I was able to see again. You know, for me, that was just pretty temporary. But there are some people that have vision issues and challenges that are much, much, uh, much greater, much stronger, and, and, and much more uh, uh, life threatening, I guess, in some ways. My mother-in-law, Eleanor Kinsey, has a condition called uh, Fuchs dystrophy. And it's a situation where the cells around the cornea begin to die off as you get older. And it makes your vision cloudy. It's, it's an hereditary thing. It's not just something that you all of a sudden get, but it's, it's passed down through the family gene. In the ninth chapter of the book of John, there's a story about a man who is blind, but he's blind from birth not due to some type of a disease or something, but he was born this way. In nine, John chapter 9, verse 1, we begin by reading, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Again, the text doesn't say, was it genetic? Was this a one-time thing? Was this just an act of nature? One commentator wrote and said, His was a congenital disease, the only one recorded in the Gospels. The man was born blind. He'd never seen the light of day, the silver gleam of Galilee, or a sunset over Mount Carmel. He had grown up from babyhood through boyhood to manhood in the impenetrable darkness of the totally blind. 
The disciples, however, reasoning about something, about a different line of thought. They thought something else had happened. They asked the question in verse 2. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? You see, they were, they were echoing a popular teaching of the rabbis of that day. The rabbi said that if a person was born blind or was blind, it was because of either the sin of their parents or the sin of the person themselves. If you look at uh, Mark Moore's Quest 52, he shares some interesting insights about that. He said, actually, the rabbis taught that in the Old Testament, Jacob, when he was born, he and Esau, that Jacob was holding on to, um, holding on to his brother's heel. And as they, were, as they were being born, he tried to pull his brother back in, even to, to murder his own brother because he wanted to be the only one, the first one born. And so they said that the sins can be passed down this way. Maybe it was the breaking of the second commandment the rabbis were talking about. In, in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection from any other gods. I laid the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, we understand today that there are things that we can do as a parent that can be passed down to our children. The bad mistakes, the poor decisions that we make are often dealt with by our kids. But so far as passing a curse down from the second, third, and fourth generation, uh, that's, that's, no longer, that's no longer true. That, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, all people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. So Jesus is, himself is, is correcting his disciples a mistaken view of why this man was born blind. He said in verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus said, you are missing the point. This is an opportunity for God to work in this man's life. The man was born blind so that God could be glorified in what he was going to do for this man. See, blindness isn't always a physical malady, is it? It really isn't that way. Sometimes we are, we are blind to uh, an obvious solution to a problem we're facing. We just don't see it at the time. In my garage, and I've not ridden it in a while, is my 2007 Kawasaki 1600 Nomad. Oh, 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 oh. It is a great bike. I love that bike. Well, when I got it, it had factory pipes on it. And everybody knows the factory pipes are way too quiet. So I took off the factory pipes, the headers, the goat bladder underneath of it, and the tailpipes, and I put Vance and Hines headers on it, and I put side pipes on it that came with all this. I, I was putting this all together. It went on really, really well on the right side. And on the left side, I could not get that muffler all the way up. It wouldn't go up. It, it missed the brackets by about a, a half of an inch. And it just wouldn't go all the way. And it won't work unless it's seated well. And I laid there and I looked and I looked. and I, looked. I could not figure out how to get that pipe up to the, to the rest of it. It was 10 o'clock at night. I thought, man, I'm tired. I'll, I'll just go to bed and I'll, I'll deal with it later. So I went back in the house and changed my clothes and laid down beside Deb. And it was 1030. And, and I'm sitting there thinking about that, that muffler. And it comes to me. This is great. Revelation. 
I went back outside, I put my clothes back on, went back outside, laid down by the bike, and looked up, and yes, there was that little notch. And so I turned the muffler just a little bit, and it slid right on there. I tightened the bracket down. I turned the key and started it up. Oh, yeah. This was 1045 at night, by the way, in our neighborhood. No one appreciated the motorcycle starting up at 1045, especially my wife who said, I can't believe you started that thing up. I said, oh, yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Didn't you like it? She didn't like it at all. Couldn't believe it. We're blind to obvious solutions, but there are things we're blinded to. Sometimes, sometimes we're blinded to the needs of people around us who are hurting and who are needing something. We just are oblivious to that. Sometimes we're, we're blind to somebody else's contribution, and we fail to recognize their gift, their talents, their abilities. Sometimes our blindness keeps us from seeing the potential and the possibilities that come from change, change that can be good. But I think the worst kind of blindness is that that keeps us from seeing God's love for us, God's grace for us, God's mercy at work in us. Now, we're not going to read every verse out of chapter 9, but I want to look at some key verses in here. And I want us to discover how Jesus restores sight to those of us who even have 20-20 vision. And I want you to understand to begin, to begin with that, that blindness is caused, has, spiritual blindness has many causes. It really does. We go back to our story here in John chapter 9. Jesus has seen the man who was born blind. The disciples ask the question why he was blind. Jesus sets to work taking care of the man. In verse 6 we read, Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, I doubt that Jesus's, uh, his method of optometry would probably not be well accepted today. I mean, if I went downtown and I went into the, the eye office there and said, Hi, Chad. Yes, I'm here to have my annual mud eye treatment. Uh, by the way, thank you for brushing your teeth before you spit in my mud. I, I appreciate that so much. You see, in Jesus' day, it was believed that saliva had healing powers. That, that, and and ev evidently, that is true. There are, are some studies that show that there's something in our own saliva that can bring healing uh, back to us. It's something this blind man may have known, and so he wasn't too freaked out when Jesus did this. And by the way, he couldn't see Jesus do it anyway, so he had no idea what was going on. Jesus said, go now, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this is a pool that's 1,600 feet lower from the point where they are right now. And so imagine this man who's blind. He's got mud caked on his eyes. He's trying to make his way down the hill to get to this pool, stumbling as he goes and, and trying to find his way there. He, he gets there. And uh, uh, we know, we know the, the name Siloam means sent. He was, he was sent to the place where, where his obedience would be rewarded. I didn't say faith. I said obedience. There are times when obedience opens the door for faith to be discovered. He did as he was told. He, he, he scrubbed the mud from his eyes. The light began to penetrate a darkness that had been there all of his life. And can you see him after, after the mud falls off his eyes and he, he begins to open them and, and things begin to take shape. Colors come into view. Light is there for the first time. And I can see him starting to run that 1,600 feet up the hill. But wanting to stop and to look at this and, and to see that and to notice something he never knew even existed before. Torn between wanting to recognize all that he'd seen or go back and to find the one who had given him sight. 
in verse 18 or in verse 8 of chapter 9 it says his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other isn't this the man who used to sit and beg some said he was others said no he just looks like him but the beggar kept saying yes i am the same one well they asked him the question who healed you what happened he told them the man they called jesus made mud he spread it over my eyes and told me go to the pool of siloam and wash yourself so i went I washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I really, I love this exchange. Where is he now? I don't know. I've never seen the guy. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like. You see, the really sad fact about this is that the people in the crowd who should have been able to have the greatest spiritual eyes, those who would be able to look through spiritual eyes, they were the most blind. They were the blindest in the crowd. Because in verse 13 we read, Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus healed the man, had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it, I could see. Well, let's make a long story short here. Pharisees, spiritual leaders, they just could not accept the fact that Jesus was anything but an imposter. How could he be from God? How could, he, how could he be doing these great things? They said, the man is a sinner. He can't be from God. He's healing on the Sabbath. That's against the law. And there was such a disagreement among even the Pharisees themselves, a, a kind of an argument broke out, and they couldn't decide which, which side was right. And they did not believe that, that this man was born blind, so they said, bring his parents in. They brought his parents in. The parents said, look, he's an adult. You ask him yourself. So they brought the man back again to question him one more time. And they said, you give God the glory. We know that this guy is a sinner. The blind man said, I don't know anything about that. The only thing that I know is once that I was blind, and now I can see. But the exchange that we, that we read about, finally, I think is the most telling. Picking up at verse 28, the Pharisees, they cursed him. They said, you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. The man responds by saying, why, that's very strange. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. This is great. He becomes a theologian all of a sudden. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. They responded by saying, you, uh, you are a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. You see, the response of the blind man would be, how blind can you be? How can you be so blind? He said, look, no one has ever been able to restore the sight of anyone born blind. If this, if this man were not from God, he would not have been able to do this. So it's the blind man who now see is calling the Pharisees who can see to be the blind people. But it won't be the last time that that happens. You see, spiritual arrogance has a really strong way of making us blind to God and to the work of the Father. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus pulls out all the stops. He calls the Pharisees blind guides in chapter 23. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. What's more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? You see, the issue is not that which is being sworn upon, but the fact that these religious leaders were imposing laws that were impossible to follow for those who were seeking God's righteousness and wanting to know the Father. But I'm not sure that we do it so much differently today when we look at the laws of God and we start checking the right boxes and we think, if I check this box and this box and I'm doing the right things, I'll be okay. God will love me. Or I'm going to garner God's grace by my good works and by being generous. This is nothing but blind spiritual arrogance. Another thing that causes spiritual blindness is unjust criticism. It's, it's ridicule. It's judgment. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see the past, pass the log in your own. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Last fall, I, I had cataract surgery. Wasn't a bad experience. It, it went well. The surgeon came highly recommended. She did a really good job. She was so competent at her work. Instead of using the laser to make the cut, she was able to do that by hand and pull the bad lens out and put the new lens in. Uh, my eye doctor said, I can't even tell when she does it or the machine does it. So I was very, very, confident, very confident in her ability. But imagine how discomforting it would be to be lying on that table, ready to have cataract surgery, and the surgeon walks in with an eye patch over one eye and treating an eye infection in the other. Or maybe she's got a log sticking out of that eye. I mean, how, how competent is this person? Are you, you're going to be saying something like, are you really qualified uh, to do this right now? I think maybe you, you need to get some help. What makes us think then that we're qualified to make spiritual judgments or to criticize someone else's life when ours might be a train wreck? Now, that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean we don't have the responsibility to step in when we see someone blatantly disobeying God's law. The Bible says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Paul is saying we, we always need to be aware of the strength of the weaknesses of our own faith. And when we're doing so, to make sure that we're not blind to our own failures when we are criticizing someone else. Spiritual blindness can also be brought on because we have stopped or we have, we have failed to forgive someone or we have failed to find forgiveness from someone else. If you've been watching the video series, The Chosen, one of the great parts of this was when Matthew was called. Matthew is a, a tax collector. Levi is what he's also known as. And he turns his back on his people. He turns his back on his family. He is, he is in, employed by the governor of the area, but nonetheless, he's still collecting, collecting taxes for Caesar. Even when he does this, he's, do, he's doing this to the fishermen of the area. He's doing this to his own family. And his dad finally says, you're no longer my son. And, and Matthew chooses isolation. A little bit later on, we know that Matthew is called by Jesus to follow him. And Matthew goes. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and said, if you've got something against your brother before you give your gift, lay it at the foot of the altar, go be reconciled to that person, and then come back and offer your gift. And Matthew 
This is just eating away at him. So he goes back into his home to where his family lives. And he comes back to the house. And, and it's almost more than he can do to knock on the door, but he does. And his parents open the door. And as he comes inside, he says, I'm so sorry. I, I, I have sinned against you. I, I betrayed my people. I betrayed my family. Little did Matthew know, according at least to the chosen, little did he know that his mom and dad had also heard that very same sermon. And as he was asking for forgiveness, they were offering that, but they asked for forgiveness from him as well. This family was reconciled together. It's a, it was a, a beautiful scene in the show. I wonder, how many Sundays, how many Sundays go by when we take communion, yet we have not spoken to a friend or a family member in years? Have we been seeking God's mercy God's forgiveness, but we've been unwilling to offer the same. Has COVID set you at odds against a brother or sister? Have political issues usurped God's love that should be shown to someone else? Are you struggling to see the face of Jesus through eyes that are blinded by hurt or by anger or by something that should have been let go of years ago? Do not let blind rage keep you from seeing others with God's compassion, God's love, and God's grace. You see, the truth is, every one of us, every one of us have been blind. At the end of Luke's gospel, there's a marvelous story that's there. You probably recognize the story. In Luke chapter 24, the story picks up by saying, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly appeared and, 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 uh, and came walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Now, we understand this event probably takes place on a Sunday morning. Two disciples walking down the road. Cleopas is the name of one of them. Both of these people are virtually anonymous, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. There's a strong possibility that the person walking with Cleopas might be his spouse, might be his wife. It's been a traumatic weekend for both of them. They're walking, talking about what had happened. The language here, when it says talking, suggests a, an emotional debate. They're not just speaking about the things that happened, but there's questions, and they're hurt by these questions, and, and they're trying to figure out the answers. Maybe they heard the report about Mary uh, and Martha going to the tomb. Maybe they heard something about Peter and John finding the tomb empty. Then Jesus joins them almost unnoticed. The text literally says their eyes were hindered from recognizing them. In literature, this is called a divine passive. God closed their eyes. Jesus asked the question, what are you folks talking about? And the response was one of incredulity. Cleopas said, you're not from around here, are you? How could you spend any time in Jerusalem during this past week and not know what's taking place? Jesus said, well, enlighten me. And so they begin to tell Jesus about himself. They said, well, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. 
We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. They're saying, we knew that he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. He performed great miracles. We were certain that he was the Messiah, that he was going to come and rescue Israel to redeem us from the hand of the Romans. But that hope, that hope was nailed to a cross on a rocky hill. And, and that's bad enough, but it's been three days ago. And as you heard last week, Jews believed that a spirit hovered around a tomb for three days. And after three days, on the fourth day, the spirit left. There were some women they'd heard about who had kind of flipped out. <laughs> some say they had seen an angel. Peter and John, they, they came to the tomb, but it was empty. And so for Cleopas and, and his companion, their hopes had been shattered. The last thing that they expected was a resurrection. You see, we often see Jesus, or we often see the Jesus that we have created to fit our needs and our agendas. We see the Jesus we want to support our causes. Some people say, well, Jesus is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I mean, he wraps himself up in the American flag, and he drives an American car, and he's against high taxes, and he doesn't want any uh, uh, people uh, coming in. He doesn't want immigration. And he says, God helps those who help themselves. That's who our Jesus is. Now, the other, the other side of the aisle says, look, Jesus looks today, today like he did then. He, he's got this long flowing robe and long hair, and he's got beads and a flower behind his ear. Uh, he, uh, he champions the cause of the poor, the destitute, the marginalized. He's not a stuffed shirt conservative. He's bound to be a progressive liberal. There are those who would say that Jesus was none of those, but he was a keeper of the law. He knew to cross every T and dot every I. The only thing that mattered to Jesus was good, strong doctrine. Legalism is just another word for being thorough. But others would say, no, no, Jesus is all about love. Truth and theology, that's not all that important. Doctrine is kind of stuffy stuff that gets in the way. In the end, God's saving everyone, right? We struggle to see Jesus because we want him to be a reflection of our political views, our theological systems, our spiritual agendas. Cleopas accused Jesus of being socially ignorant. Jesus accused both disciples of being spiritually ignorant. He said, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets, you find it hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus planted a seed of truth that was beginning to take root and to grow in the minds of these two people. It says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly, they could see. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to other, did not our hearts burn within us as we talked as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Their eyes were opened. They saw Jesus. No longer were their eyes clouded with the agenda of a national reinstatement of Israel. They saw the Messiah, the one who could take away the sins of the world. That's who they saw. Paul said it this way, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers 
in the unseen world. You were blind. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Every one of us following the passionate desires, the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. We were subjects of God's wrath, just like everyone else. But God is rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. You see, we were once dead, we were once blind, we were once not able to see the truth, but because of God's great mercy for us, he saved us. I want you to know this, you do not need an ophthalmologist to have your sight restored. Chad, you can talk to me about this later, but you'll understand. You don't need an ophthalmologist to have your sight restored. The blind man did not need to be a theologian to be rescued. The blind man did not need to be a theologian to have salvation. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus said, look, said, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. He didn't have a deep understanding of who Jesus was before this. I'm amazed that as we read this and the questions are asked, he didn't even know who Jesus was. It appears as though he may not have even heard of the guy. How is that possible with all the things that Jesus did in and around Jerusalem? For whatever reason... This blind man's life was consumed by his own needs and failed to even know of Christ. But the important thing is this. When he saw Jesus, he believed and he worshiped him. You don't need to know everything there is to know about Jesus before coming to him in faith. You don't need to know everything about the Bible before trusting in him for salvation. You don't need to know everything about the church before submitting your will to his will and watching him change your life. Now today, with eyes wide open, will you come when Jesus calls you? To me, one of the most moving scenes, one of the hardest scenes in The Chosen is when Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. If you've seen this, you know it. Nicodemus is sitting at a table and Jesus is on the other side. And as Jesus begins to reveal himself to Nicodemus, Nicodemus struggles. He, his, his heart is torn between wanting to follow, wanting to go along, wanting to know more about this man, and the understanding that he has a role, he has a responsibility as a spiritual leader of his people. At the end of the conversation, there's some artistic impression that takes place. Jesus asks Nicodemus to follow him. Tomorrow morning, we're leaving. We'll be at a certain spot. Come and meet us there. Go with us. And the tears continue to flow down Nicodemus' eyes as he, he wants to so badly. But I want you to see this video.
should be everyone. Everyone's here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. to go for it to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. You're gonna wear that? On a trip. These are my clothes. Should I have others? This absolutely breaks for Nicodemus. I know this is artistic impression, but who's to say that it didn't happen like this? So close, so close, but he's blinded by his indecision. He's, he's blinded and, and torn between what he knows that he should do as to something else. Don't let your past, don't let your fears, don't, don't let your defeat, your doubts, your questions blind you from seeing Jesus. Don't come this close only to turn away. This morning, this same Jesus calls you out of a spiritual blindness, out of a fog, so that you may see clearly. You may see clearly who he is and what he has in store for you. His forgiveness and grace, his compassion, the ability he has to take away your sin. This morning, maybe you're like Nicodemus, struggling to make that decision. As Jesus calls, I pray that you would have eyes wide open and see the Messiah and listen as he calls you. If you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered to his Lordship, do that today. Come and make that, make that announcement of faith and let Jesus cleanse you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessings you've given to us today to spend time in your word. Father, to see, to see stories that I pray convict us and tear at our hearts. Father, help us to know that you love us so very, very much and that you have for us forgiveness and salvation. Father, open our eyes. Remove the blinders that are there. Help us to see past our our past, our prejudices, Father, our, our poor judgments, and Father, to look clearly in your face and to rest on your grace and forgiveness. Fill us with your grace and peace, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?